Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to another episode of Why Would You Tell Me That? I'm one of the co-hosts, Dave Moore is the other co-host. You can get us at Neil Delamere Comedy on Instagram at Why Would You Tell Me That? And you can get him at Dave Today FM on Instagram as well. And we're proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. But, 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 my friends, we are very excited this week. Why? Because last week we told you that our first ever live broadcast of Why Would You Tell Me That, i.e. people in the room listening to me and Dave and an expert talking absolute rubbish, was going on sale. And it went. And it flew out the door within 24 hours. So thank you very much to the people who registered for the ticket. We are so proud of that. Thank you so much. It's going to be absolutely brilliant. Cannot wait. November 20th. And also we should say, if you weren't lucky enough to get tickets, or if you just don't live here or live near Dublin and can't go, it will be an episode. It will be an episode. Absolutely. If you've got any requests for what you want us to ask our expert, we're going to be talking about ghrelin, which is the hunger hormone. You can send them into us on socials and we'll put them to Dr. Lara Dungan. Double Dr. Lara Dungan is back. But can I just say one thing? These tickets are free, so you had to register for them, and we're delighted that so many people did that. Sometimes people, if you've registered for free tickets, sometimes they go on the night, oh, it's rainy, or I feel a bit unwell. Now, if you're a bit unwell with COVID, don't go, obviously. (laughs) But if you can't use your ticket, please give it to somebody else, or at least let us know, because we have loads of people on the waiting list, but do not just not tell us and not turn up because we will be very disappointed not to see your smiling faces. Right, but onwards with this episode, I'm very excited to bring you something really, really interesting this week. Uh, We will say we have a slight issue with audio, so there'll be a bit of a difference between what you're about to hear in part one and what you'll hear in part two later on, but don't worry too much about it. All the info is there. It's all really brilliant. So here we go. On with the episode. What have you got for me, Dave? We're going to look at business blunders, okay? Oh, yes. And... There's one that we're going to talk about in this podcast with our expert in part two. And it was such a brave move by the person involved who decided to take his giant brand, in fairness to him, his giant brand, and take on the biggest brand in the world. Literally the biggest brand in the world. Can you have a guess what that brand is? Um, Are we counting Christianity as a brand? (laughs) No, other than Christianity. No, we're not counting any religion as a brand. Biggest Um, brand in the world. Biggest commercial brand in the world. I'm going to go, I'm going to say Google, Nike or Coke. 
Okay, it's Coke. Certainly at the time, Ooh. Google did not exist. Uh, this okay. Was, this was back in the in the 90s, so no Google. But yes, we are talking Coke. Talk on Coke. So it's Richard Branson and Virgin Cola. The battle between them, Coke and Pepsi. But wait till you hear what Coke did to make sure Virgin Cola is now, as you well know, not on our shelves. Oh, I am fully on board with this. I love billions. I yeah. love succession. Oh. Basically, what you've done is you've got all the shenanigans that's going on around business. And this is what you're going to tell me about. Yes, absolutely. And I want to start it off this part of the show and just talk about a few of the business blunders that are kind of famous. Maybe you know some of these, maybe you don't. I mean, the first one, and it seems obvious to start here, is when the biggest brand in the world, Coca-Cola, made a giant mistake in the mid-80s and released, do you remember, New Coke? Now, no. We would only have been kids. So in, in the 80s, they just decided, they did blind take, they developed a new formula for Coke. And they did blind taste tests and everybody preferred New Coke. They did tests against like Coke, Pepsi, uh, they did tests against a thing that was called RC Cola. Uh, I think it was Royal Crown or Red Crown Cola, whatever. That's one of the few colas that's actually ever done okay against these boys. And everybody said, yeah, we this is the best drink we've ever had. Amazing. And then they launched it. Uh, and at the time in the mid 80s, it cost $4 million to launch it. So marketing wise, that was a an immense spend in terms of what that money would have meant in those, in those days. And then everybody was offended. Like, obviously, the US is the cola market in the world. Okay. So the people of America, even though New Coke was nicer than Coke, felt that this was an affront to their way of living, that somebody would dare to 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 tamper with the perfection of Coca-Cola. And it was the derision and, and, and the anger was not that, you know, that there was anything wrong with New Coke. It was that they had touched and messed with original Coke. I know that's an American, obviously it's the American sensibility, but that is the most Irish they possibly could have been. I don't care if it's nicer. I don't care. You have changed it and <laughs> it is unacceptable. Yes. That's, this is, who do you think you are to improve on a product we already like? Take your scientific opinion and your focus groups and shove them in a perfectly rounded bottle. And Coke had no choice but to pull it. And when they pulled it, whatever about the four million they had spent at the time, a lot of money to market it and bring it to market and get ready. They had 30 million dollars of new Coke concentrate all across their bottling plants and no market. What did they do? Just clean loads, loads of pennies? <laughs> what they did was they sold it as new Coke and then they sold, don't, I don't know if you remember this, Coca-Cola Classic. Oh, yeah. So they brought Coke back as Coca-Cola Classic and then obviously now it's just Coca-Cola. But that was the thing they did. They went like... Okay, new new Coke is on the shelf. If we sell it, at least even though we're, it's every can is now costing us whatever the hell, probably five or six dollars. Uh, at least they knew then that they could go back and market, you know, Coca Cola no, Classic. Bet you that's what they say they did. I bet you they got they did a deal with Mentos and sold them as weapons to <laughs> some developing country throughout the world. Possibly okay. so. But that's a massive blunder that you really can't see coming no like, surely you go okay it can fall down at design stage it can fall down at marketing we've called it a name that nobody likes nobody's yeah. offended by new right and um, oh it doesn't taste as well it's an inferior product you couldn't really see that coming uh, we've invented something better that tastes nicer 
um, that isn't an offensive name, that isn't made by slave labor, uh, <laughs> that costs the same amount of money, but people just don't like change. No, they don't like change. Okay. Um, we'll move on from Coke to, um, I don't know if you ever remember a company called Excite. No. Okay. So at one point, Excite were the second biggest search engine on the internet. So the biggest was Yahoo. Yahoo were giants. Ask Jeeves. Uh, well, actually, Ask like Jeeves. Us. Yeah, like us. Nice. Ask Jeeves bought Excite, uh, and they actually became Ask Jeeves became Ask.com. Um, but at the time, Excite were a big company worth a lot of money. And the lads who ran this small startup that had received a bit of funding called Google uh, mm-hmm. came into their offices and went, here, do you want to buy our search engine software? Because it's better than yours, and we think it'll really work. And they went... How much? We're looking for a million dollars. A million. They want a million dollars, lads. A million dollars is a lot of money. A lot of money for, like, let's let's run some tests. And they basically ran Excite search engine tests and they ran Google site search engine tests. And they put in, the first word they put in actually was internet. And Excite turned up two Chinese language websites with the word internet in English written. That, that was the best they could do. Google software turned up like, how to build a website, uh, what is the internet, the perfect searches. But beyond that, the the algorithms and things were kind of achieving similar results. So Excite went, nah, I don't think this is really for us. Like, uh, I don't know. Now, then the lads went off and they came back again and they went, I'll tell you what, we'll do you a deal for $750,000. But we want you to replace all of your Excite technology with google search technology because you say the 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 results are similar just replace it with that and we'll come and work for you this is larry page all the like we'll come and work for you 750k nah not interested it's now as you well know a trillion dollar company now i'm not saying if excite bought it it would have remained you know the story would have been the same but they had the chance for three quarters of a million quid to own google Another not good idea was what Blockbuster did when Netflix walked into their offices in the year 2000 and said, listen, do you want us to handle your online arm and then you put us in your, you know, mom and pop brick and mortar stores around the place and then we'll work with each other? And they went, no, that's that's terrible. They literally, and like this is the quote from the people who were there from Netflix, they laughed us out of their office. Oh, God. Yeah, within 18 months... They had appointed a guy called Jim Keyes as their CEO. Uh, so and within 18 months, he had wiped 85% off the value of Blockbuster. Three years later, it was bankrupt. And Netflix, as we all now know, is worth tens of billions. So not a good move by Blockbuster there. What would you do if you were the Netflix dude and you had been laughed out? Would you ring them every so often? <laughs> would you? Do you know the beginning of Netflix... Where it goes, ba boom. Yes, that's probably the recorded heartbeat of the CEO of Blockbuster <laughs> as he passed away. <laughs> um, NASA and Lockheed Martin built a space probe, a Mars probe. It took two hundred and seventy-eight days to get to Mars, and when it got there, uh, NASA went, um, "What? Oh, hang on, we pushed the button to make it do the thing. It's not doing the thing it's supposed to do. Uh, what's the problem? Oh, it must be a NASA. No, 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 not, not no problem at our end." Uh, Lockheed Martin, what's the crack with our massive Mars probe? It was $125 million. We've just sent it to Mars. It's 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 heading off into... We can't... Oh, 
you you used metric right no we're nasa we use metric you used imperial right yeah we so basically lockheed martin used imperial and nasa used metric and so the thing that was supposed to do the thing didn't do the thing because oh my god inches and centimeters <laughs> now apart from the fact that it sounds like every conversation the man has had with his wife is that real yeah literally the mars probe went to mars and then sailed off into the i would say sunset but into the blackness of space has never been found cannot be contacted because the lads in lockheed martin were sticking to their feet and inches i don't deal with those goddamn european metric ways of measuring things if it says 14 it's 14 inches that is epic i mean if you're nasa at that point you're you're you were renegotiating the deal aren't you oh yes oh, Oh, you, you thought we were going to pay you in American dollars? Well, <laughs> how does Turkish lira sound to you, my friend? Um, have you ever drank a Snapple? Yes. But... Okay, so Snapple, those those yeah, weird fruit drinks in a glass bottle with like witty things written underneath the, the cap and stuff. Uh, they mm. were a big deal in America, a big deal. And so Quaker Oats, which is the American kind of Flavin's porridge for any of our Irish listeners, decided that they would buy Snapple for $1.7 billion, which I'll be honest with you, for a niche fruit drink, seems like a lot of money. They owned it for just over two years, and every single day they owned it, it cost them $1.6 million, because when they sold it, they got 300 million quid back, out of their 1.7 million investment. What happened in the meantime? What happened was fruit drinks are really easy to replicate because, you know, you get water and you get fruit and you have a fruit drink. For example, the Coke thing we're going to talk about, Coca-Cola's recipe, as we know, is guarded in a giant safe and only like a tiny amount of people have ever seen the list of ingredients because Coke is really hard to make. Fruit drinks yeah. are really easy to make. So they spend all this money on Snapple. People realize very quickly, like Coke and Pepsi and other brands went, oh, those fruit drinks are doing okay. We'll just bring out our fruit drinks. And then we've got the huge supply chains and distribution and all these things and exclusive deals with supermarkets and 7-Elevens and all this thing. And bang, Snapple from $1.7 billion in two years to $300 million gonzo. Like no money, no money left. <laughs> Wow, Snapple. If your product is easily replicable, yeah. you can't value it at $1.7 billion. Although fair play to them for getting quick growth to give them the money, I suppose. You've just ruined the podcast pitch when we sell it on. <laughs> now, would it be libelous to, for us to try and figure out what actually would be in Coke, do you think? Libelous, no. I think if we got it, if we got it right... We'd be killed immediately. And, and broadcasted, yes, I think there would be some kind of an immediate, like, two-mile-away shooter, you know, his, his, your sniper scope. You'd, yeah. just be, you'd just be talking away, you'd, and then you just, you'd be gone. Yeah, my head would just, just vaporise instantly. I reckon, <laughs> um, I reckon snake venom. Snake venom, okay. Panda tears. Um, the condensation of the wing mirror of a 1998 <laughs> Toyota Corolla. <laughs> I squirrel spit. The sweat of uh, somebody who came fourth in the Olympics. Oh, um, do you know what? I think your head would have been blown off if you said third, but I think you're okay now. <laughs> uh, come here. And finally, in this part of the show, I want to tell you about Xerox. Xerox 
gave Steve Jobs the computer. They gave it to him. Explain this to me. What do you mean to get? I mean, there was more than one computer in the world no, at the time. No, not at this time. Not at this time. So Steve Jobs had developed a computer. Microsoft had developed a computer. Like there was, look, we all had, I don't know about you, but BBC Micros, VIC-20s, Commodore 64s. These computers were terrible, okay? None of it made any sense. There was no such thing as a mouse. There was no, it was just, it was all just code, like... Uh, hey, you want to like play a game? You must get the disc, put it in, tell the computer to like encode, tell it to open the disc. Then it goes, okay. Then take the information from the disc. Okay. Then run the information. Okay. Then I want to play it now. Okay. Like everything was a step, a process, whatever. It was, it were appalling. Xerox have a place called the Palo Alto Research Company or Park. And Palo Alto is a place in California. And they had invented something called the Alto PC. And Steve Jobs had Apple, and it was a computer company that was doing big things, but nothing really on the level that we know it as. And he went to Xerox and went, do you want to buy some shares in Apple? And they went, ooh, that sounds exciting. What do you want in return? You want money? He went, no, I want to get into Park. And they were like, ooh, don't know about that. It's closely guarded, kind of our secret research facility. He's like, I just want to get in. I want to see some of the stuff you guys have. You can have shares in Apple. It'll be a good deal. So the executives went, okay. Uh, and they told some of the lads in Park that Steve Jobs from Apple was coming down and to show them some stuff. But they didn't tell all the lads in Park. Oh, no. So Steve Jobs went down, was walking around, and people were like, why is Steve Jobs from Apple here? Like, he's our literally our biggest rival. What's happening? They were like, yeah, apparently he's, he's allowed to look at stuff. He's not allowed to look at it. I'm not showing them. So he got to see, they claim, Xerox claim, he got to see about 1% of what they had in park. Yeah. And the one thing he saw was a computer called Alto. This is the seventies and it had a mouse. It had windows. It had file management. It had GUI, a graphic user interface, everything that we now take for granted as a computer, as a smartphone, all of the thing of pointing. He looked at this and he literally was walking around the room. They were supposed to be sitting down, having a conversation. He was all in the room going, this is so fantastic. This is the best. And they were like, calm down. Like, and they're saying, whispers are going, he hasn't even seen the other stuff. And they're like, yeah. he's like, this is, the, you guys, this is the most fun. This is the thing that's going to change the world. They're like, sure, Steve. Yeah, a mouse. Good man. Yeah, that'll definitely do it. And then he went away and went, right, here are your shares. I'm going to take Alto and I'm going to make something called the Macintosh. He did. And here we are today. Apple, one of the biggest companies in the world. Everything stems from the time Xerox gave him access to all of their research for like a couple of shares in Apple. The most expensive tour, basically, ever. It's legendary. In, in Silicon Valley, the, the park tour, the park visit, I think they call it, of Steve Jobs to Xerox is legendary, as in like a seismic moment in tech. History. What would he have invented if he'd been given the full tour, if that was only 1%? Yeah. We could all be hovering right now. Oh, apparently, there are lots of things about the, the the Xerox computer, not just the Alto, the other stuff, that we've never seen, that haven't yet been incorporated into our computers. And here we are, what, nearly 40 years later. 40 years later, yeah. Oh, man, can you imagine? You could download a new kidney. You no, just... Yeah. There are, there, I don't, I don't know. I, I saw some kind of speculation as to what they were, like some voice stuff, but like, but none of it, none of it's been confirmed. And Xerox, obviously a company that we know from 
photocopying. photocopying. They stayed in that kind of industry, even though their research was the best in the world. They stayed in the kind of giant office copying company kind of thing. We're so, never okay. able to move or, or be dynamic as a company. And obviously now they're not really around. So right now we are at where we stand now. So Xerox were way ahead of Apple. Oh. Apple, Apple come in and now Apple are essentially one of one or two of the foremost technology companies in the world who have revolutionized the smartphone and the tablet and everything else. And the other crowd are basically what you copy your arse on at a Christmas party. <laughs> yes, yes. And only at a Christmas party because when else are you in an office having fun? Only at a Christmas party. Uh, so look, they are big business blunders, no doubt. But Richard Branson openly admits that Virgin Cola may have been his biggest business blunder. we talk about that next. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to part two of Why Would You Tell Me That? We're joined now by Strategy Director at XMO Marketing. It is Andy Jarvis to tell us the wonderful tale of the delicious Virgin Cola. Andy, how are you? I'm top of the world, thank you. Great to have you on and great to have you on telling us a story that I can't wait for Neil to hear about and the rest of the audience because I think everyone's vaguely aware of Virgin Cola. There was a time when it was a thing. Mm -hmm. But why is it no longer a thing? I mean, Richard Branson doesn't tend to kind of lose very often. So it's an interesting exploration of just how, how you can make something disappear. 
it's a hell of a story as well, which Branson calls it his most notable failure. And from I, look, I, I'm a boring marketer, right? And I, I love it from a marketing perspective, but from a business perspective, and even just from a fun perspective, right? Because Branson's a character. Uh, so for him to kind of tackle two of the biggest dogs in the world and, and fail, it's always going to be a great story anyway. I can see why you brought this to me, Dave, because didn't your parents call you their most notable failure? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, it's something I wear with pride. (laughs) I have T-shirts and everything. Um, Andy, talk about Virgin as a brand in general. I mean, it's a company that obviously grew into a massive corporation, but it began as a record shop, then a record label. I mean, and Branson's always been kind of subversive and, and rebellious, hasn't he? Yeah, I, I think it, what Branson brought to the the British business culture in the seventies and eighties was this idea that fun can be good for business too. Mm. Which, uh, if you're of a certain vintage and you remember Britain in the eighties, there wasn't much fun around, right? You know, we, we had Thatcherism and depression. I think that was probably about the only two things that we had. So, uh, to have someone come in and, and a call the company Virgin and b suddenly decide that look, we're a record store, and then get what would probably be called ideas above the station. We're going to be a record label. We're going to be an entertainment business. We're going to bolt on. We're going to kind of take the world by storm. And then in 1984, launching uh, Virgin Atlantic and taking on British Airways. This is kind of a guy who didn't really know where to stop, right? He just thought yeah. if there was a challenge here, you know, if there's a mountain in front of him, how do I climb over that mountain? That, that was his approach. I- I've often looked at him and gone, if I was him, I would have been on my island that he bought, his own mm-hmm. Caribbean island. I would have been on that and not worried about any board meetings or anything from about the mid-80s. But then you realize the reason he has a Caribbean island is because he's not like that. He's not sitting, getting a massage and having pina coladas brought to him. He's actually back in a boardroom trying to work out what the next step for his huge brand is. Trying to work out where to go next, right? And I, I think that the genius of it and, and the stupidity of it, if you all at the same time, is how broad the whole company got. It, it became a conglomerate in, in a way that just doesn't make any sense in business terms, right? You know, any, any business consultant would come to you and say, look, you bite enough more than you can chew. Just be the best record label in the business, right? Yeah. Your record store, record label makes sense. What do you want to do next? You know, maybe like we could put on gigs or something like that. No, no, I want to fly planes across the Atlantic. <laughs> yeah. What? I, I'm going to launch a, a caller. You're going to do what? Uh, so, you know, the, the stupidity of it really more than anything else was it's absolute genius. But if you take on British Airways and you're successful, I mean, you might as well take on Coke, really. I mean, this is it, right? There is a thing that happens to rich men where they feel completely infallible. And I, I mean, I wouldn't know. I'm not rich. But <laughs> <laughs> enough examples of, I mean, Elon Musk is kind of the, the current version of this. It's like, oh, I'll solve any problem because I'm rich and I've solved one other problem. But look, Branson's got a track record. He calls this his most notable failure. Is it his only failure? I mean... Everything else is Yeah, I mean, Virgin Mobile is still going. Virgin Media is going. Obviously, Virgin Atlantic is, is now Virgin Airways. Is, is, is yeah, it Virgin, yeah. And Virgin Bank's still there. Yeah. Um, yeah, you the, might say the space record. one. Yeah, yeah, he's trying to get to space as well. Yeah. Okay, so he, he decides he wants to take on Coke and Pepsi, I suppose. Look, let's be honest with you. He wants to take them both on. But once he decides this, what happens? What does he do? So... Launching a brand is not an easy job to do, right? It costs a fortune, and often it's really difficult to get something off the ground, especially when you've got this duopoly of Coke and Pepsi that everyone's heard of who are spending 
tens of millions, probably billions worldwide on bringing their product to market and trying to keep their market share of Coke being bigger than Pepsi. So you've got this going on and then Branson's like, I'm going to crash into this market. So he starts off relatively sensibly and says, I'm going to take on my whole market. I'm going to launch in the UK and see what I can do. I probably should roll back a couple of steps first and say that the first thing he did was uh, he found a product which he thought was better. So they did blind taste tests. Okay. And oh. everyone, when they did a blind taste test, Coke versus Virgin Coke, or Virgin Cola, sorry, it <laughs> outperformed it. Uh, famously, apparently, he took it to his kid's school because he couldn't believe it, that everyone liked it, and did a blind taste test with the kids. And the kids loved it as well, much more than Coke, much more than Pepsi. Now, if he'd have been watching what was happening across the across the pond, he'd have noticed that Pepsi kept doing the blind taste test. They kept beating Coke, but Coke kept trouncing them in sales. Still number one, yeah. But he'd obviously not looked that far ahead. But anyway, <laughs> so he, he did this test and found a partner, a company called um, Cot Drinks, who make white label drinks. They made all the sodas, as the Americans call them, that went into Walmarts and all the own brand label stuff, right? And he found a partner to make it, signed a deal with them, and he had a product. But having a product is only the first, it gets you to the start line, right? You're not actually running a race until someone can buy it. That's where you hit a problem. You've got to be somewhere for people to buy. And if you go somewhere and they've got a Coke fridge and that's where they sell their Coke from and their other soft drinks from, they're not allowed to put Virgin Cola in there. Okay. So you suddenly got to on-ramp really, really quickly to try and get the product on shelf, try and get distribution so that people can buy the product. And he does that in the UK at first, and he signs a deal uh, with one of the major supermarkets and manages to get distribution there, and the brand has launched and is live. It's not just on his airplanes anymore. It's in-store, and people can buy it, and he's spending money. He ramped up from something like half a million to five million in ad spend over one year. Oh, wow. That is big. Jesus. Do we know when this was? What, what period this was? So we're talking early 90s when this launched. So it launched in the UK, I think it was 92, 93. And to be honest, did really, really well. Yeah, 5 million. If he's looking for a small part or even a big part of this pie, do we know how big that pie is in 92 or 93? So the global market's worth... Not a huge amount. It's sort of 50 billion US dollars. There are thereabouts. <laughs> you sure you're not one of those rich guys, Andy? No. <laughs> oh, pocket change for me. Billion. Yeah. Okay, so if he makes any indentation yeah. into the US and the global cola market, like even 1% of that is going to be a very, very healthy return. So he was aiming for, I, I think in the UK, he said he wanted to get sort of 20, 30% market share, which might have been Branson Bluster, right? But he got, within the first couple of months, he climbed in and took 5% market share. Now, 5%, I don't know whether you think that's a good number or a tiny number, but 5% of a big number is a big number, right? Yeah, definitely. And all of a sudden, you're starting to make folks a bit nervous. Not, not hugely nervous, it's still only 5%, right? But that market share is coming from them. It's not. He's not growing the pie. Yeah. He's just taking their share of the pie. How did he get to fight? Like, what? What was the launch process like in the US? He must have done something to make a splash. Yeah. So, well, in in the UK, I think it was just a bit of look, we're Virgin, and that's what we're doing. And it started to go okay. And he launched in a couple of other countries. But you can't really say you've got a cola unless you're in the US on Coke's turf, on Pepsi's turf, standing there and saying, right, this is what we've got, and this is where we are. So in 94, Branson says, right, we're going to the US and we're going to take 20% market share, right? Ooh. Which, like I said, pie in the sky. But you've got to remember, 
whatever he's spending, five million spend in the UK is a drop in the ocean in the US. Their media market's much, much bigger. Mm. So you've got to make a noise. You've got to be able to stand out. Who better to make a noise and stand out than Richard Branson, right? So what's the first thing he does? He goes to Times Square and stacks up something like four tons of Coke in the middle of Times Square, cans of Coke, and rolls into it in a Sherman tank. Straight over the top of it. <laughs> Subtle. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Like, uh, this is a soft launch, obviously. Soft yeah, launch, yeah. right. So a Sherman tank threw four tons of Coke in the middle of Times Square, right? He then takes the tank to start doing media interviews. So he's out, I think it was NBC or something like that. And he pulls the tank up out the front of the studio and gets out of it to go and do an interview. He takes a, a, like a massive Virgin Cola billboard and hangs it right in front of Coke's massive peak billboard in the middle of Times Square as well. So he's just basically overtaken them. And he's walked into New York. Now, they're an Atlanta-based company, but into New York, into their home market, and basically done his best to piss them off. The only way that could be more over the top is if he had stayed in one position in the tank and fired a diabetic out (laughs) of the end of the tank like a human cannonball. (laughs) <laughs> into a pyramid of coke cans. Now, amazingly, you're only you're like the first fifteen percent of what you said. Then was right. Oh my <laughs> so god! After he, uh, but, but when you said diabetic, it stopped. That like, it was all wrong <laughs> okay. after that. Okay, but okay. After he ploughed through the coke, they moved the turret of the tank, pointed it at the coke billboard, and were pretending they were going to start firing at oh it. Oh my god! Even pre nine eleven, that was probably not a good look in central <laughs> no, New York, right? Definitely um, not. But yeah, Branson was like, yeah, you just couldn't get away with that sort of thing now. But back then, he just, that was his launch. That was his entry into into the state. Oh, and tell Neil as well about the bottle, because he didn't just go, oh, let's just like put out whatever, you know, contoured bottle we have. Because yeah. Coke obviously had a famous bottle shape, the glass one in particular. Yeah, yeah. But when he was launching his bottle, he, he, he went all out, especially mid-90s. So, Neil, can I throw a question at you? Go. Who who had the most famous shape in the mid nineties? Which actress? Uh, or I thought oh. Neil was going to say West Ham three two three, <laughs> three, three four three. I mean, I love Terry Venables. What what a set of buns! Um, I, I'll say a person based entirely on the season I've just watched of Pam and Tommy. So I'm going to say <laughs> Tommy. No, Pam. Pamela Anderson. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it might have been a bigger bottle if it was the Tommy, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, it was. So they, Pamela Anderson, who Richard Branson had met when he was filming an episode of um, Baywatch, he had dinner with her and said, look, I need to I need to create some more noise. Can I create a bottle in the shape of you? And it was lo- sort of euphemistically described in the press release as a top-heavy bottle um, <laughs> in, and called the Pammy. But he, he, the, the press launch for this was even better. So Branson is again front and centre. There's a, um, I don't know if it's a Boeing 747 or some huge Virgin branded jet on the tarmac in New York with Virgin branding, Virgin staff on it. Pamela Anderson dressed in Virgin uniform. Branson with the Virgin Pammy bottle then tries to scoop her up. Well, they both stood on the wing and almost drops her and kind of the oh both nearly God. falling off the wing as he's trying to get her in the door. But, it, you know, it doesn't matter, right? Because all he's after is headlines. All he's after is people seeing it and eyeballs on him. They've gone for their sign. 
they've gone for their bottle. I'm only slightly surprised he didn't have three polar bears euthanized <laughs> in, a, in a horrific dark turn in the cola wars. And the, the cola truck was was rammed off the road. <laughs> Full of as it, Max. Yeah, yeah, as it came into the town for Christmas. Holidays are coming. Holidays are coming. Just T-boned truck. from the side. <laughs> truck is in the ditch. Truck is in the ditch. <laughs> and then he also managed to get the bottle uh, and the product on massive TV shows, which was really impressive because that's hitting America where it counts. Absolutely. So the, the two that spring to mind were, it was in Baywatch. Uh, there was a huge sort of Goodyear blimp, which is the Virgin Cola blimp yeah. floating down the back of one of the scenes. And in the biggest show on TV in the 90s, and it, I think it's probably still in the top 10 biggest shows of all time now, it was on Friends. Yeah. Um, so oh. it's product placement on the middle of the, the the table in the apartment. I actually remember that scene because I, I remember at the time, because look, I've been a cola fiend for a long time. And in fact, I was a Pepsi all the way through up until I was like, until Coke Zero launched actually. And they sent me a promotional bottle of Coke Zero. And I was like, eh, I hate Diet Coke. I love full, full, full Pepsi. I'll give this thing a taste. And was like, oh my God, this is it. There was other things like Jolt Cola. I remember that was one of those things that was super double the caffeine, the Coke, whatever in the 90s. Curiosity Cola is now a, com- a company called Fentimans make that. It's a botanically brewed cola. I love that. So I'm a cola freak. And I remember seeing Virgin Cola in Friends when it was on the telly and going, that's kind of weird. Like, that's weird that it's not Coke. You know, I just remember yeah. thinking that. I mean, TK Red Lemonade would be weirder, Dave. But <laughs> it's, yeah. it's still... It's still pretty big. And Andy, have you ever had Virgin Cola? Like, I don't remember ever it ever being in Ireland, Neil. Do you? I mean, Andy, no, you had it? No, no, I don't think so. I know. So I, I grew up in England and I, I remember trying Virgin Cola. Now, I wasn't a fan. Um, I So my Coca-Cola would be my preferred cola. And I tried Virgin Cola and it, it tasted like a supermarket cola. Yeah. Uh, there used to be this cheap old brand back home when I was a kid called Roller Cola, which Roller was like, Cola, yeah. I remember, well, did you that. remember it was like it was like pennies for a gallon yeah. of the stuff, right? And, <laughs> like, even as a kid you knew it was rotting your teeth and your innards. You just knew nothing good was going to come of this, but your mum kept buying it because it was cheap. Yeah. Um and it just tasted a bit oversweet and and not for me. Okay. Not okay. to my educated palate, at least. Oh, of anyway. course, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, so I'm assuming when something disrupts like this, right, the original behemoths of cola, Coke and Pepsi, look at this and think, well, we've got to smash this, otherwise it gets too big to smash, or, or try and buy it. Did they try and buy it, actually, as a matter of interest? No, no, no. They they went for your your first idea and just okay. uh, Coke decided just to try and smash it to pieces. Um, <laughs> but not... Not all of Coke. So, so the problem is, right, you're, if you think, right, if you're a shark swimming around the sea, you don't often worry when a tiny little cockle gets in your way, right? Yeah. But if, if you let that become an enormous thing, then it's too much of a problem. But there's a point where you don't want to just keep going at the little irritants. You've got to wait for it to get to a certain size. So at the time, no one in the US, it was a plucky upstart Brit. He was being an annoying bit of a git. But he wasn't causing too much of a problem in terms of sales. He'd got some distribution with Target, which was good, but he never got more than about 30% distribution in the market. So there was always a limit on how much he could sell. Yeah. But someone on the uh, who was on the way up at, at Cork, who was a director who was from the UK, had much more exposure to what happened with Virgin, how they took on British Airways, which kind of, nobody really cared about in America because it was British Airways, right? Nobody had seen what he'd done with the record stores and the record label and how he was disrupting other industries. But she spotted this and was like, look, 
we probably want to nip this in the bud now. And then he started driving tanks over tins of coke and they were like, all right, you get yourself over there and you sort him out and what can I do? Gloves are off, do what you need to do, just get rid of him. Okay, so she, an English lady, high up in coke, kind of changes her job and her job now is go to the UK and get rid of this thing. Yeah, she was sent from Atlanta uh, with a kind of a, a SWAT team of people to go back to England and sort out Virgin Cola, get rid of them. Because while they were kind of plucky upstarts in, in the US, in England, they'd managed to get a couple of supermarkets and build that distribution out. According to Richard Branson, now, so this is not an independent source, <laughs> wherever they were, Virgin Cola was listed with Pepsi, they outsold Pepsi. Now, not okay. Coke, but they not outsold Coke, Pepsi. Pepsi. Right. But as you start to climb in the market, people start to take more notice of you, right? So she was sent back to say, right, just nip this in the bud. She took the gloves off and probably wrapped some tinfoil around them before she started the fist fight <laughs> and went to war against Virgin Cola. And how did she, what, what was her plan? What, I mean, her plan was obviously to, sorry, to get rid of them, but how did she go about doing that? How did she like hamper their sales in the UK? Um, well, well, Richard Branson refers to this, right? He uses a lovely term. Uh, he calls it a kneecapping was the wow. exercise that she was sent to do, right? Which is fairly <laughs> inflammatory language. Yeah. Right? Coke tried to kneecap your business. Um, but she was basically sent with a war chest to go to all the retailers and say, right, you know, they, have, they buy coking at a price, the retailers. And basically sent to say, right, well, we'll sell it to you at a much lower price so you can make more money. Oh, this sounds wonderful. What do we have to do for that? Stop listing Virgin Cola. Right. Interestingly, they weren't saying stop listing Pepsi, their number two competitor. Stop listing Virgin. Virgin, okay. And they were doing things like, um, oh, if someone said no, smaller retailers said no. They said, okay, we're coming to take your Coke fridges out. Now, the Coke fridges are a big thing for smaller retailers, and they were threatening people to say, well, out come your Coke fridge if you keep selling Virgin Cola. I just imagine a black van pulling into a cul-de-sac and going up to a kid who's making lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> just going, <laughs> guy getting out with a back on. You have been warned twice. You shall talk on this estate and nothing else. Did you grow up in the north, Neil? <laughs> no, but I've been there many a time, and I've seen enough Coronation Street in Emmerdale to get the general vibe. So did this? Did this work then? Yeah, it was really effective. So Virgin were, you know, as customers of people like Tesco were ringing Tesco and saying like, "Why are our sales down? Why aren't you buying anymore?" And they were like, "Well." There was all sorts of excuses and all sorts of this and that's because they, they didn't say this is what was going on. So they kind of, um, they used the carrot and the stick, uh, Coke did. They said, look, here's more money. You can buy it at a better price and sell it at these and we'll do your advertising support and we're going to dial up our advertising spend in the UK. And the stick is, if you don't do it, we'll stop selling Coke in your in your place. And they came and they went to war with them. Uh, so that, you know, they really wanted to to throw this activity to kill it before it really got off the ground. And there's a beautiful full circle moment at the end of this story about that executive. <laughs> Tell Neil about the time Richard Branson met the lady. He did indeed, right? So um, Richard Branson's launched uh, Virgin Bank uh, a few years before we get to this point and brings in a new executive, uh, has, that, has hired an executive to run the bank. So she comes in for a meeting with him. They sit down for dinner. And right at the start of the dinner, she says, I feel like I need to tell you something before we get too far into this relationship. And he says, what's that? She says, I was the person who led the Coke SWAT team to 
kneecap your call. <laughs> and that's where we found out all the underhand tactics they'd been trying to, to wow. shut his business off. He said he didn't know whether to strangle her or he didn't know whether to go, I've got a great person working for me or kill her. Can you imagine that she has to figure out, will he find out it's me or when I have to tell him? Yeah. And will it be like a film and he suddenly admires me or will he launch himself <laughs> like a virgin Atlantic uh, flight over the table <laughs> and go mad at me? And, and and did he kind of, he obviously, if he talks about now he gave her the respect that her success is due, I suppose. Yeah, I think I think it was more of a fair play to you sort of moment where he realised that look, you know that that's business, right? Uh, he doesn't seem when you when you watch interviews with him and you hear him talk, he seems to sort of take business as business rather than personal to an extent. Anyway, easy to be gracious when you still have a billion. Like if he was that, you know, <laughs> yeah, he's on Necker Island, going, oh, that time that woman got the better of me, you know. And look, he got 5% of the UK market. He got um, like half to 1% of the US market. And yeah, you can sneer at these and go the small figures, but look, look, a couple of percentage points of a 50 billion a year market, I think it washed its face, right? I don't think he's lost a fortune on <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, probably I, I think his, his pride's been dinted a little bit. But if you could say your biggest failure is when one of the biggest brands in the world takes the gloves off and decides to knock you out. Yeah. That's not, I don't think that's failure. Yeah. And interestingly, he, he did still have it for a while on Virgin Atlantic, uh, Virgin Trains. And mm-hmm. I know there's still places around the world you can find it because there's a couple of people still have the license for it, I think. Yeah. So uh, I think it's Nigeria and Cambodia. Right. I think you can you can still buy it uh, bizarrely. So if you if you head in there, bring a few tins back and you, you can sell it. <laughs> uh, the company that that has the license for the UK and Ireland, or maybe just the UK, uh, they went bust a few years ago. So there's nobody who holds the license currently to, to sell right, right. Virgin Cola in the UK. But it, you know, it it lived on Virgin Trains and Virgin Airlines after it kind of come off the shelves and things like that as a as a product for people to try, but it, it never had that commercial breakout success. That, that Was it like Intermission? You know, the Intermission, the film where they rob all their brown sauce and they just have to use it all up. You think <laughs> He just had warehouses of it and he was cleaning paintbrushes with it. He was putting it in his car. He was fake tanning himself with it. It's just being used for everything. It'd probably be a great fake tan for Branson, wouldn't it? <laughs> Bronzer. Just take the bubbles out. Um, when the kneecapping commenced, shall we? We say when when the underhanded tactics um or even I don't know how underhand they are actually in, in the term, terms of business, when it happened, did he fight back for a while or did he just go, Hey, this is Coke. I'm never winning this battle. Cut the losses. Yeah. So it, it was I think nineteen ninety seven um when things started, when they started to hit back. And what you could see in the Virgin sales is when they launched, they quite quickly managed to sort of get a bridgehead and get some market share wherever they were going. And that's not unusual when a brand launches because they throw, to use a technical term, a shit ton of money at things and then sales come up. Slow down with your jargon there. (laughs) (laughs) Marketing jargon. Sorry. sorry. (laughs) But what they found is once their launch money and stunts had gone and they just went back to kind of normal marketing and advertising, then the market share always dipped. So people were trying it, but not necessarily sticking with it. And they kind of had this um, three, four, 5%, and it always dipped a little bit. But when Coke really came after them, they did try and upweight their spending a little bit for a bit of the time. 
But I think, again, to go back to some marketing jargon, if you start losing distribution, there's no point selling it. This is pre-internet, right? People couldn't just pick up the phone and order a pack to be distributed to the house via Uber Eats or whatever. If you went into the supermarket and couldn't find it, all the marketing and all the advertising in the world doesn't help because you're just spending money and people are going to buy a different product. Oh, I want a cola. Yours isn't here. They're not going to walk out and go and find another store for another cola. They're just going to pick up a Pepsi or a Coke. So you end up spending money just to increase the market share of the incumbents. So I, after a while, I think they just realized the, the, the futility of what they were doing and ended up. You're only creating awareness of colas. That's all you're doing. Yeah. And actually, so hitting distribution was the most effective way to do it. And interestingly, though, I suppose you you do still know the brand, funnily enough. Like, it, it must have existed for, for such a short period of time in the 90s into the noughties. But, like, you're talking less than 10 years. And here we are now, 30 years on from that. But it's still, if I was to list list colas... Virgin would definitely be in there. At, you know, it would be down the list, but I would definitely list it. Yeah, I think that's probably a, a symptom of the market being dominated by just two brands. Mm. You know, if you were to do the same and try and list banks that had failed or newspapers that where there's a lot more in the market. But with Coke, you've got Pepsi and Coke and that's it. And then everything else. So you're always remembering it. And I think the fact that Virgin still lives on helps to keep that brand relevant Fair, to people. Yeah, yeah, because it's, it's across so many other things as well. And Richard Branson lives on. Um, mm. I, I mean, he may have been dead for 30 years. Who knows? But uh, he, he <laughs> seemingly lives on. So he keeps it in, in the sort of modern consciousness. Well, wow. that's how like he's, a, he's some sort of spirit. And Richard Branson lives on. <laughs> Maybe there's a little bit of Richard Branson in all of us. There certainly is in Nigeria and Cambodia. The lucky people who can have it there. <laughs> Maybe it was the Richard Branson we had a- along the way was the message of this entire podcast. Uh, Andy Jarvis, strategy director. Director at XMO Marketing. Thank you so much for this. What a wild story and brilliantly told to us. Thanks a million. No problem. Thank you for having me on, guys. Right. Welcome back to Why Would You Tell Me That? There you go. Andy Jarvis of XMO Marketing taking us through the incredible tale, Neil, of Virgin Cola. I bet you didn't know something so marketing and strategy based could be so interesting. I didn't know that. And what I found interesting about that is you realize what they're up against when we're just messing around and I can do the polar bear ad. You can do the holidays are coming ad. We can talk about the bottle. And you just realize how ingrained advertising is in our life and therefore what Virgin Cola had to go up against. And as an Irish person, you look at Michael O'Leary and go, those publicity stunts, oh, someone else used to do a lot of those, didn't he? (laughs) They're very similar in terms of how they were were one man and the one man was the brand. Yeah, exactly. And you have to go to school for things. And there's no doubt Michael O'Leary is definitely a a student of Richard Branson. And why wouldn't he be? You know, he's one of the Mm. most successful marketers ever. And you argue that Mr. O'Leary has done a hell of a job doing the same thing. So, yeah, it makes all make perfect sense. If there was a dragon's den and Richard Branson was a dragon, I mean, he's Mm. the one I think you would want. I mean, Peter oh, Jones God, is going to give yeah. you all the money. No, but, uh, but he's going to mount the table, pick you up off your feet, and then just, you know, oh, do something sorry. crazy. Sorry, sorry, Neil. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt there. Uh, we are, sorry. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah, cool. No problem, sir. Yeah. Sorry, Neil. Uh, we've just been told by my dad wrote a porno and no such thing as a fish that we're not allowed to do this podcast anymore. Um, All right. Yeah, oh, okay. they've they've just they've. Yes. No, no, I, I get it. No, no, your threats are I've, I've got your threats here. Yes. No, well, that's it. Now we're finished. Oh, they're coming through. They're actually I'm in a WhatsApp group with the Internet. And they've said the internet as the distributor of yeah, this podcast, yeah. they're saying that um, people's phones, which is the equivalent <laughs> of the Coke fridge, will be taken away from them if the, unless they stock my dad wrote a porno. Yeah, so, so look, we'll just have, this uh, is the last oh, episode oh, no, of this. No, oh. no, we have some good news. We, oh. The podcast is available in Cambodia <laughs> and Nigeria, apparently. Excellent, okay. And apparently, and despite the fact that most people, when they listen to just a sample of our podcast, they, it's much sweeter oh, and they, most people prefer it in a little test, test. In a blind audio test, they, yeah. they absolutely <laughs> prefer it. <laughs> is, a bl- is there such a thing as a blind audio test? Are not all audio tests blind? Who knows? These are complicated questions for our time. Uh, well, look, I hope you enjoyed the tale of Virgin Cola I, uh, I can't wait to hear what you've got for me next week what are you bringing me I have got Jonathan Wilson from the Guardian Football Weekly Podcast one of the biggest podcasts in the UK and he's going to tell us about the crossover between cattle breeding and Argentinian football I can't wait for that thank you Neil Delamere uh, don't forget to like and subscribe and follow and do all the things that uh, get you as much why would you tell me the information as possible and by the way since this podcast is so good at selling out gigs I'm also doing Vicar Street next year on February the 11th so bye takes to that bye <laughs>